I do think we're going to see defaults. I think it's coming and that will push up inventory at the same time as interest rates are high. That is the perfect storm for a massive crash. And, and again, now we're not talking five, eight, 10%. Now we're talking 20, 25%. We're talking big numbers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Peak Prosperity. Welcome to this really very, very special interview that we have today. I am so pleased to be talking here with you out here in the YouTube audience with Neil McCoy Ward. If you are not familiar with him, you really need to avail yourself of what he does and who he is and what he talks about. He's a um, former Special Forces, lives in the UK, a futurist, a thinker, does great videos to help you get grounded into what's happening. And just like me, he gives you the context, but then gives you actions that you can follow. So Neil, welcome to the show. It's so great to be talking with you today. Thanks for that. Uh, that was a that was a big intro there for me, Chris. I hope I can live up to <laughs> all of that <laughs> stuff. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm uh, looking forward to the conversation. Me too as well. How how do you go about investing? I'm I'm curious. What's your process mm -hmm. for helping people? Like are you are you in do, do stocks and bonds become part of that because you know we have a paper game we have to play? Like how how, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, it, it, well, this is the thing. This is why I do one-on-one -on -one mentoring with people because I do talk about, I do a monthly macro video with all of my investments and I talk, I let people see all my investments, my spreadsheet and things. And I do talk about what I think's coming each month. I do a big video. But when it comes to individual people, I really have to sit down with them and say, tell me about yourself, first of all. Mm -hmm. I need to know you. I need to know your background. I need to know your skills. I need to know when you're going to retire. I need to know what your plan is for retirement. I need to know your expenses. I need to know your income. I need to know all these things. Only then do I move on to the asset classifications. Okay, what assets do you hold? Okay, let's look at that. Okay, these are your risk levels that I can see here. Too much, too much intangibles. You've got all this money in the bank. That bank is a high risk for a start. You've got bail-in law. You haven't diversified your cash. Um, you, you know what? I start going through all these things, and then it's an educational process, talking about gold and silver, stock market, uh, bonds, going through uh, real estate, real estate investments, a different type of investments. Uh, there's, you know, there's 30 different types of real estate that you can make money from. See, it, the deeper you go with all of this, the more you learn, the more options you have. Uh, here's a great example. A lot of people said to me, Neil, you said there's going to be in 2023 a real estate crash. You said property market will come down and yet you've bought a property. Why did you do that? And mm -hmm. I had to explain to everyone so that people didn't think what's going on here. He says this and did something else. The inflation in the UK is 10 and a half percent. My money was borrowed by from a UK bank at 2.9%. So on a property value of what I've bought, it's a very large historic heritage home with a lot of land. I'm actually making 7.5% profit on that. So just in year one, maybe it, you know there'll be more in year two, et cetera. So there's profit there, but not just that. I had too much cash sat in the bank and I needed to get that into something without using all of the cash because I wanted to then use the rest of the cash for those tangible recurring assets. 
for those things that are going to bring in income. And one thing I'd love to buy at the moment is to diversify that portfolio is some holiday cottages for rentals, holiday properties or vacation rentals in the USA. But even though I would love to right now, even if I can find fixer uppers and get them, you know, renovated and all that, I just don't feel it's the right time because your high value, this is how it works in terms of real estate. When you go through a recession and a crash, those high value houses, they don't crash. People assume they do, but they don't. They just sit there and they plateau. Now it's different for every country and region, et cetera. What does crash is the middle to lower end property. If, especially if they've seen a big spike, which usually is the case, they spike up, they're gonna drop down quite, quite hard as well. And that's why you don't see the high end properties going up like that. They tend to just sort of, they're always on a, a, a similar trajectory. So I would love to go out. Um, so that's another reason I bought the property. It's not going to crash, even if other properties crash. So I would love to go out and buy some real estate that I can rent out right now. But it's not the right time. I think we're going to see 5 to 10% USA, no problem. 5 to 10% loss in the UK this year, no problem. I, I'm very comfortable giving those figures. USA could be 8 to 10%. But it could be a lot more. You see, if we go into this this great deleveraging cycle, which is they don't happen very often, every 100, 200 years, and that's why they're not taught as well in economics. If we go into a great deleveraging cycle, this is where all the the this is where all of this debt that we don't know about. So it's not just the banking sector, derivatives, shadow banking sector, is is where everything begins to collapse. Now, if we see this big collapse going, it goes like this, similar to the housing market, it doesn't just go like that. What happens in the housing market? Oh, I need to sell. Well, that guy down the street's got the same price. Okay, I'm going to drop mine a little bit. Oh, he's dropped his a little bit. I'm going to drop mine. So this takes a long, that's why housing doesn't crash. It comes down slowly. But with the banking, go ahead, Chris, go ahead. So I, I love that thinking. Um, I'm going to take a little bit devil's advocate, and, and it's based on this. Um, mm, mm. We might get a deleveraging, but it'll only be because it got completely away from the central banks. Right. They can't afford any deleveraging in this current system, not here in the U.S., right, where mm, we're mm. already at a $2 trillion-ish federal budget deficit. We know that our Social Security system is bankrupt. Yeah. It already is. But by 2033, it, it's like literally out of out of even the IOUs they put in there. Um, we know that we have like one in six companies as a zombie company, which means if they yeah. don't have access to re-rolling in the credit markets, they're out um, on and on and on. Right. <clears throat> so I know that we're going to get a little it's a it's politically untenable. It's my view for the Federal Reserve to pivot right now because inflation is still too high, but they're going to get a scare. That's what I'm saving my dry powder for is that scare. But I have my buy list is is developed, right? I know what I where I want to deploy my capital when the time yes. comes. Hard assets mostly, right? But I think the Fed's going to pivot at some point, which means they're going to cut rates again and do all that stuff. It may even be that they, you know, give tax holidays just to stimulate. I don't know what they'll do, but that's my thinking. What what are your thoughts there? Do you think? I I, I hear it's this. If you study the actual leverage in the system, if it begins, if that cornice gives way, such mm. an avalanche could actually ruin the financial system. I think that's what they're scared of. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. 
Um, so we could, there's a lot, there's probably six or seven things. My brain just came up within one go, which is too many for me to hold. I need three. <laughs> we could talk about inflation to everything else. Mm -hmm. So I actually have a, what a lot of people would consider a crazy wild theory at the moment, but I'm sticking to it because I'm, I'm fairly confident on it. And that is from studying 120 years of, of charts. What we are in right now, people say, oh, it's just like the Great Depression. It's correlated. I don't think so. I think there are correlations of the Great Depression right now, but I don't think it's perfectly correlated. I think what we are likely to see is not a pivot yet, although the bond market could force that. That is possible. The bond market could force the pivot. But I just, I think if the, the Fed does pivot, it's going to be a QT to a QE pivot. So let me just explain to the viewers what that is, because obviously you know. So that is quantitative easing, that is currency creation. Um, I think they're going to go back to that. So what we're seeing right now is, is a tightening cycle, quantitative tightening. So they're destroying a huge amount of currency every single month. And when they destroy that currency, that affects a lot of, a lot of assets. It affects the stock market, it affects the housing market, as well as inventory and interest rates. Gosh, now we've got about 20 different things that are playing against each other. So mm -hmm. why are we seeing the housing market affected right now? Interest rates have gone up. It's made affordability peak, and now it's coming down. Combined with the perfect storm of energy, utility costs, inflation, food costs, everything else, that is also affecting it. So what you're probably seeing, I have no evidence for this, but what you're probably seeing is that the mortgage companies and the banks are saying, yeah, we can give you this amount for a property, for a house and mortgage, but actually because energy bills are going up like this and we don't know where they're going, we're going to deduct that amount because we think that you can't afford X, you can now only afford Y. So I think that is another factor that's coming into play. Now, when the inventory flips, that's going to be bad. I've heard a lot of people fear-mongering on this as well. And, I, and again, I don't agree with it. And that is that in the next two to three months, because this has been going on for a year, everyone said, we're going to see all this inventory be dumped on the market because people are going to default on their houses. So we're talking millions of people. I don't agree with that at all. And the reason why is because over the last two years, a lot of equity was built up for a lot of people who bought in, in the market. And I also think that it wouldn't be popular politically for that to happen just before the next election. So I don't mm -hmm. think we're going to see the mass default. I, I do think we're going to see defaults. I think it's coming. And that will push up inventory at the same time as interest rates are high. And that is the perfect storm for a massive crash. And, and again, now we're not talking 5, 8, 10%. Now we're talking 20, 25 percent. We're talking big numbers. So I think it's possible, but I just San Francisco. San Francisco. But that's a different case. You, you've also you've yeah. got to look at the, the, what happened there. Now, here's another thing for anyone that's ever wants to invest in real estate. Do not invest where a market is hot and it's been going up. I told everyone about Boise, Idaho. I kept hearing it all the time. I said, don't be foolish. Do not just invest there because it's going up like crazy, because that's going to go up like crazy. And it's probably going to come down like crazy at the same time at some point. I said it about Florida. I said it about Las Vegas. 
um, who, oh yeah, Graham Stephan, the, the biggest YouTuber around. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, t I said, I said, <sighs> I don't think that was the best idea, buying that massive mansion in Las Vegas. I really don't. I think it was a bad move. The same with the other one there, Santa Monica. I think it was Santa Monica he bought a place. I said, I, I just don't think it's a good move. Completely up to you, Graham, and you know, that sort of stuff. But I don't mm -hmm. think it's a good move. Here's what you want to do. You want to be looking at regions where you're not seeing high-tech, high-paid jobs like San Francisco. Very high-paid jobs leaving for Dallas and other places, Texas. What you want to be doing is you want to be looking, where's the government saying they're going to put infrastructure where they're going to be building roads, highways, bridges, trains, airports, where they're going to be building new energy and all these and factories. And that's where the jobs are going. Go there where there hasn't been much growth, because now you're going to see a lot of jobs coming in, especially tech sector as well. If there's tech sector going in, that's where you're going to see growth and it's going to be sustainable growth, not just, oh, let me just buy here because this is where it's popular yeah so um real estate's tricky um i'm a huge i'm a huge fan of it at, at this stage yeah. um I, i've bought uh, a lot of trees up the hill here um yeah because uh, those are btus on the hoof for me in, in many respects yeah. so yeah. Um, I, I like that it's it's a derivative energy play but um one of the things i get asked a lot is about relocation you know, mm. and where to go. And I basically think that we're going to be seeing if I'm right over the next several decades, cities will depopulate quite a bit. Because um, people, oh, it's much more efficient to live there. But if you put your energy goggles on cities to me are these giant dissipative energy machines, energy goes in food and, and literal energy and waste comes out, right, which is an energy yeah. intensive process. So, so that's what they are. Um, and, and they will always have a value. But I, I tell people, if you're thinking about relocating, you could do worse than to drag up a map from the late 1800s here in the United States and ask a question. Did people settle there in the 1800s? Because if they did, there was a reason. It was a commerce center. It had a natural geography that, that supported it. Um, there was some reason. There was water power. Their food was close. There was a, there was a reason, like a, like a deer trail. Deer trails never go straight up and down the hills. They cut yeah. across the side because they are naturally you know, being efficient with the, with the resources as they are. Mm. So that's where I start. And we've done this, you know, crazy. There's like people with these McMansions on the north sides of hills perched, you know, like it, you take the energy out of the situations. Like yeah. there's no reason to live there, people. Well, can I, give you, can I give you an, op an opposing view to that? Absolutely. That okay? I love all, all right. sides. So again, I think long, long term, 10, 20, 30 years in the future. So here's what I, I here, here's a flaw I see with this. People, when this launch at the CBDC, I still think it's 2025 is going to launch. I've said that for, I, in fact, I said that in 2020. I said 2025, I think it's going to launch. 27 at the latest. Now it depends on each country, but UK, USA, I think it's going to be 2025. So we'll see. People will be watching this in two years and tell me if I was right. But I think once that launches, those people who haven't bought property, farmland, something outside, they are not going to be allowed to buy it. That CBDC will have rules with it. And the mm -hmm. rules will not allow them to buy something out there. And they're going to be so into the system that there is just no 
there's no way out of the system. That's why they call it a two-tier society. And the best example of this is a film called Equilibrium with, uh, mm. I think it's Christian Bale. Most people haven't seen this. It wasn't a popular film, but it's very, very good. And it's a two-tier society. And what happens is the people who live in the cities are completely controlled. The people who live outside the cities are hunted by the people who live in the in the cities, these specialist teams, they, they hunt them. And it's a fascinating movie, but it talks, it's all about this two-tier society. And when you hear the great, well, we won't say it because this bit's probably for YouTube, the great, well, what is one mm. of those things in 2030? You will own nothing and you'll be happy. Well, in that, in that doctrine, in that document, it actually says that there is a two-tier society. It says those that live in the cities and are entitled to all the privilege that that brings. And then there's those who live on the outside. And it actually says those who were left behind. And when you dig deeper into that, it talks about who those people are. And they are farmers. They are your conspiracy theorists. <laughs> I love that. I love that word. That, that, that's so funny. But th this is this is what, you know, this is where we're going towards. So will people be able to then escape the cities later on? I'm not so sure. I think they might get stuck. Hmm. And that's why I think it's a good idea now for people who have got the resources to actually. And, and you know, Chris, people say all the time as well. I'll just finish with this point here that, oh, Neil, I don't have the resources. To, I don't have a million dollars to go and buy a big property and all this. You, you don't need that. You just... There's a lot of places where you can buy parcels of land very cheap. And you just start with what you've got. I know a guy who was very, very successful. And through some unfortunate circumstances, he lost everything. Mm. And he and he bought a parcel of land for 40 something, 40, call it 40,000 euros. It might be a little bit more than that. But it's 40,000 euros. He bought an RV and he and that was a you know, an old banger, very cheap. And he's put it on this property. But what he's doing is he's using his time, his labor, buying the resources himself. Because what is most work, it's 75%, 80% labor cost, 20, 25% material cost. So he's doing that. And, and this is the other thing. People just assume, oh, I need a million dollars. I need a million pounds, euros. And that's what I need to, to get off grid or to even just to change the lifestyle a little bit. It, you know, you're not becoming a doomsday prepper here. You're just getting a little bit more self-sufficiency for this energy cliff, for this food crisis, for the other things that are inevitable. This is just economics and mathematics. Yeah, no, I'm so glad to hear you say that because this is a, a point I stress over and over because I understand it's very difficult to make these sorts of moves, right? That that even that energy of activation for that gentleman to find a parcel of land, find an old RV, do this, you have to be spending time and energy doing that, right? And, yeah. and so not everybody feels that urgency yet at this point. My belief is that the future is going to unfold like Hemingway went broke, slowly, then all at once. Now, when we get to that all at once stage, that's when people suddenly discover like, I feel like I'm playing a game of musical chairs, so all the cash I still hold, I kind of squint at it thinking it might not be there. Like, I mm -hmm. discount it heavily because I might wake up one day and my bank is closed and I'm subject to a bail-in or the whole system froze for some reason or who knows what, right? I don't know. I can't predict any of that. So, uh, but I do think that there is a clock running and 
that if people want to think they, they want to get out of a city or become more resilient or begin to find, remember, gardening takes time. Building the community you need takes just as much time, if not more, right? Mm. Because it's not just how many people you know and do they have a couple of tradable skills. It's like you got to you're going to need to know these people like yes, well, yes. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you would know more about that than me being in, in the special forces like that. That team cohesion takes time and you have to have a lot of it's, trust is on one level. It's repeatable, consistent actions and you can trust somebody over time, right? Hey, Neil's always on time. I see that right. 50 times. So I begin right. to trust that yeah. Neil's on time, right? Tells me something mm. about Neil, right? Something like mm. that, right? So so yeah. that takes time. So so to the extent that people are kind of kicking around going, uh, you know, I'm not sure. My position is that when it becomes obvious that it's time to move, you will no longer have the opportunity to be mobile. Right. Nearly yeah. as much as you do today. 15-minute cities, restrictions, yeah, yeah. Those 15 minute cities to me, that is like, that is, they don't always ring a bell, but this time they did, right? Mm -hmm. That, yeah, that yeah. 15 minute city is a thing of saying that. So, Matt, so let's think that through for a second. That's shorthand. I'm, I'm maybe cutting too many corners. So, when mm -hmm. they say a 15 minute city, right, they're going to basically be dividing up uh, uh, any city. Like London would be probably carved into, I don't know how many districts at that point in time, right? Yeah. yeah. A dozen at least, maybe more, maybe two dozen. So, think about you're a shopkeep in one of those districts, right? Now, all of a sudden, in and out mobility is highly frictionated, right? So you don't have people, like if you're a cobbler, there might only be three or four for all of London, right? Or maybe one, I don't know, because there's not that many people getting their shoes fixed, right? Yeah. So you're, you're, by definition, anybody who has a niche business, you're out because people mm -hmm. have to be able to freely travel to and from that business. I don't even know what this means in terms of delivery, delivery trucks, probably inefficient to deliver lots of small places if you have to cross these boundaries and it's tracked yeah. and you know all that yeah. stuff so small and medium businesses you're crushed by this right away mm -hmm. so yeah. now what are your opportunities so now because jobs and real estate are connected if you're crushing the local jobs right now what well i think your real estate falls so i just i could just see these 15 mini cities being a very 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 bad idea it won't stop them but all of a sudden your mobility is now constrained by who's going to buy your house. Now you have to find somebody who wants to live in your damn district. It's going to right? be difficult. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of, a lot of issues. Well, that is all the time we have out here on YouTube, out here in public talking about this. If you want to see the rest of this incredible long form interview, by the way, we, we covered a lot of different topics. You're going to have to come by either peak prosperity and check it out there or at Neil McCoy wards. Patreon. You can check it out there. There'll be links to either place you want to find that. Please go and do that. We we really had some very important conversations. And by the way, this is just the first of many. So I invite you to come by, check that out and become a member because information for effective action is the most important thing you can invest in right now. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. The beauty of saying it's an emergency is very difficult to challenge any of this stuff. Our wealth is being stolen via our money. I would have never come here if I thought it was lost. I know we can.